Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. This is um, Supplication International Ministries Apostolic Conference Call. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and um, after this message, this will be uploaded on Anchor.fm Apostolic Conference. And also you can find more information at ElvisIverson.com. And you can also mail, uh, mail us um, if you want to plant a seed. You can visit ElvisIverson.com or Mail, um, mail us um, Richard donation to Supplication National Ministries and a mail to Supplication International Ministries, P.O. Box 8132, Omaha, Nebraska, 68108. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Today we're going to have Glenn. Um, praise the Lord. Brian Nelson. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Errol. Hey, hi, Errol. Praise the Lord. Just... Amen. 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> We're just waiting for the speaker. He's calling call in right away. Hopefully he'll figure it out. So. <laughs> yeah, Hallelujah. my cell phone was, was uh, cutting off and everything. I had to call you a couple times here before I got through. Okay. Well, hopefully he, he he'll he'll call in two seconds. So I talked to him yeah. earlier. So Amen, Holly. Well, Glenn, I met Glenn back in um, in um, nineteen um, ninety seven um, in um, Waco, Texas. I was attending a conference there. Um, he looked like a cowboy, and um, <laughs> literally cowboy, and um, you know, like uh, Texas. Um, Ranger, well, actually, there was like actually Texas Rangers. There, were, there was Texas Rangers that um, outside guard in the meeting. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. Glenn Weed here from Steadfast Amen. Ministry. Amen. Yep. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, this is this is glad he just called and and um, so I met him in Waco, Texas, at Grace Campgrounds, and um, you know, I met him in 90, 1997. He was. Really looked like a cowboy, and and um, he is still a cowboy, and um, and then um, over a um, couple of years from now, um, we start being touched by phone, and then in nine, um, and then in um, 2019, I went down there and we did some ministry on the border. So, Amen, Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna um, Tonight, um, Glenn is going to share about um, his ministry, his calling, and, and about his ministry in Mexico. And then after that, Daryl Anderson is going to share. He's been um, he's been there a couple of times. He's going to share about um, Mexico and uh, and um, so. But um, so I'm going to ask, um, except um, me and Glenn and Errol, that everyone will. Um, Click um, um, star six so that so there's no feedback. So, Amen. Hallelujah. It's star six. So, Amen. So I'm gonna turn it over to Glenn. So, Amen. Okay. Roll, huh? Hallelujah. A- amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the name of my ministry, Steadfast Ministries. I got that from Corinthians, where it says, "Be steadfast, unremovable, abounding in the work of the Lord." And that was one thing that I really wanted to do 
was to be steadfast in the things that we did, not just be half-hearted at it, but to really do it. And we first went to the mission field. I, most of my friends were board, uh, border town missionaries. They would drive back and forth across every day or two, and that's where they administered. But I always wanted to go to the interior. And so I eventually hooked up with a man named Doyle Brimer. And we went down with him, and we became very seasoned because he was a very seasoned man in the ministry with a lot of experience. And so uh, we really learned how to, uh, you know, the customs and stuff, that not to make Americans out of them, but just to go down there and, and, and just be with them and show them the love of God and the grace of God and, and encourage them to do the right things, not that we do everything for them, but to get them to do the evangelism, get them to pass out the tracts, get them to pray for the sick, and uh, those those basic Christian things that take place. But through the years, I had felt that the, that uh, we we wanted to be like them in the in the sense that not just to live there with as Americans with. Texas license plates, but to really get in there, because I noticed with the Texas license plates were all the time being pulled over by some policeman wanting money, and uh, and I thought, well, you don't see the Mexican vehicles get pulled over like that, so eventually I got permission to get a uh, resident card and a work permit and then a resident card, but anyway, we managed to get a number of vehicles registered down there through the years. So when we traveled in Mexico, we traveled with our Mexican registered vehicles from Nuevo León, which made a made a big difference. Uh, a lot of times we'd be pulled over for an inspection, and the officer would would uh, would have a hard time believing that we were Americans. I would we would show him our card, our resident card, and our paperwork, and he'd realize, oh, we're Americans. And he would compliment me on how well my Spanish is. Now, my Spanish is not as good today as it was back then because we, really, we were really hitting it. My wife's health was real good back then, so we were really out in the, the mainstream of things taking place. For seven years, I did tent campaigns and doctor campaigns. Uh, like, uh, I think I did as much as, uh, it was an odd number, either five or seven one year long. I was either putting the, I put two together every year myself with the help of a, a political man from Galeano, Nuevo León. He was a political man there, and he helped me get these doctor's campaigns going. And then I did my tent ministry with other pastors there. Anyway, uh, it went real, real well. We, we ministered to the poor. We tried to get the, the doctor's campaigns where they were really, really needed. We were very, very successful, but then it became very rough in Mexico, and I wanted to get to where I would just come to the border with my older vehicles that are registered in Mexico and pick the Americans up. No, no, we don't want to do that. We want to come down our new Suburbans. Well, that's what they were stealing at that time was Suburbans. I just told them, no, we're, we're, I want to cancel them. So we canceled doing the doctor's campaign because I just felt like the Americans couldn't understand. They're, they're in danger bringing their shiny vehicles down here and, and being kind of flashy with them. It had been better for me to get my vehicles and maybe someone else's help as well, another church with a van maybe to help out. So that, that ended that. And in the tent ministry, I eventually shut it down as well. But I have my tents here in Texas at this time. 
And uh, anyway, we, uh, we, we did that for quite a few years. And then plus, I pastored in a little village, San Pablo de Raices, for seven years. I mostly taught on rest there, rest and trusting in the Lord and believing that he that begun the good work in us will do it. It's not necessarily us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. However, that was part of the message, but it was more leaning on God and letting God help us do it. And it went really, really well. And uh, uh, we had a number of close calls down there. I can remember one time we had a going through the mountains there. Charles Henry was with me at Tony Caballero from Mexico City. And we came up on some Zetas and they were... Uh, asking people for money with their guns pointing at them. But that was a day that the Lord kept speaking to me, telling me, drive easy, drive easy, take it slow, take it slow, as we were going south to Tapit Nayarit. So when we got there, the, the bandits were basically through stealing for the day. They needed to move on because they knew the army or the police would be summoned after a while to go there to get them. So they were ready to leave when we got there. But I tell you, it, it about scared the life out of me seeing all those guns around there and all those young people that have no regard for life. But uh, the Lord was with us and he saved us that day. And I don't, I don't want to take a, a lot of time here, but uh, I think I've kind of given a gist of it. But I, I would like to say right now I'm living in Texas. I moved my stuff out of Galeana, Nuevo León because of the president that we have right now, and if, if y'all voted for him, that's fine with me, but I, I just, he's making bad decisions, and there's going to be a war for the border here. There's going to be a fight. I don't think it's, I think Mexico will be involved, but I think people will be able to come and go out of Mexico, but I think the fight is going to be along the river, along with cartels pushing people or pushing drugs across. I, I think it's going to come to a, a real fight, and I wanted to be here. Because when Obama was in office, there were people always trying to break into my parents' house here and stuff. And so uh, I, when Trump was in, that stopped. And since this other guy is in, I, and uh, he's pretty much doing Obama policies, I, I, I felt I should come to Texas with, and have my guns oiled and ready to go. And so I'm here watching over the property and ministering as I can, which is once a week right at this point in, in Nuevo Progreso, Mexico. And that's where I took Elvis to go when we went to minister. We went there to minister. And it's very good. We got a number of children that come, a number of adults that come. And uh, I give them the word. I ask the Lord what to share, and that's what I share. And so I'm, I'm going to let it go with that to give the other gentlemen some time to speak as well. So God bless y'all. Oh, oh, my, my, my ministry, once again, is Steadfast Ministries. And I'm going to give the mailing address twice here. It's 310 East Main Avenue, and it's PMB, which stands for Postal Mailbox, and the number is 159 Alton, Texas, 78573. Now I'm going to do it again. Steadfast Ministries, address 310 East Main Avenue. 310 East Main Avenue. Okay, PMB, which stands for Postal Mailbox, 159. PMB 159 Alton A L T O N Texas T X period 78573. Yeah, God bless y'all. Okay, Elvis. Well, well, before we turn it over to Errol, um, so how did you feel your call into to become an evangelist? 
Well, it happened in Axtell, Texas, is where it happened. Um, I was there, and Brother Bob was teaching a lot about uh, what he had uh, what he had been taught from the campgrounds there, and it was very, very good. And after a while, I, I had always wanted to minister to the Mexican people, always be involved with them since a, a young person because we lived here on the border, and and I had noticed that uh, that we had a better life than, than them. And I, I don't know, somewhere along the line I got the word and realized, you know, the word is what makes the changes. We can throw all the money at them we want. We can build all the churches we want for them. But they need to learn the word and learn to be blessed and learn to do that on their own. We don't, we don't have to do everything for them. They can do that. And that was one thing I learned from Doyle Brimer. Sometimes you build the whole church for them, then that becomes an American church. But if you help them and then let them spend money on it as well, it's a, like a buy, uh, you know, a, a work together sort of thing, then that actually becomes their church as well. And so uh, I had got that, and and I felt I could do that, and I was – uh, one church, one Sunday, I was reading about how blessed are the feet of them who preach the gospel, uh, you know, on the mountaintops. And <laughs> so anyway, I went forward for prayer, and uh, the word of the Lord came through a man there and says, it's time to send him and his wife and children out to the mission field. But God says he's calling to the mission field, and we need to send them now. And that's just uh, kind of how it went. I went forward for prayer for that. But then someone spoke, said, no, they, they need to leave as soon as possible. And so that's what we did. We obeyed the word that came forth, and we, we left as soon as possible. Sold everything I could and paid off everything that I could, and and uh, and we went to the field, mission field. Yeah. Hallelujah. What's the farthest you've been in Mexico? Uh, well, I've been all the way down to Chiapas, uh, Tuxla, Guterres, Chiapas, um, we were down there when, uh, I can't think, uh, San Cristobal. That's when they were killing Christians down there at that time. And I didn't even realize it, but we were very close to a town where Christians were being persecuted and killed. And I know the other brother here is going to talk in a minute about, about people being killed in Mexico. And this has been going on for years. It's not a new thing, but uh, uh, but his is a, a little different story than mine. But, yeah, I didn't know that. And so... Uh, the people really amazed that we even showed up there. And I guess they were amazed because I, I didn't know where to go. We just drove down there, and the Lord said, turn here, turn there. And I drove within a block of where these people were at that I was supposed to meet. And they were amazed. Well, how would you know to do this? And I said, well, the Lord said, turn right, turn left, go straight. And that's all I did. I just obeyed what he said. So, yeah, that was, uh, man, I don't know, that's like, almost to the Guatemalan border when you get there. It's not far from it. It's still a little ways, but not far. But generally, most of my trips, like to Michoacan and to Peak Nayeri, they're approximately a 1,000 miles in the interior. And I've flown them with Charles Henry in a little airplane, a little Cessna, and I have a Cessna right now. And I'm with the violence going on in Mexico like it is, once the churches open up 100% or we can start going down there again, I, I would, I'm hoping to get everything that I need, transponders and radios and permits all, all lined up on my plane. I have, it, I have Mexican insurance on it right now along with American. I mean, right now, today. So I'm insured. 
but yeah, to get everything where we could fly, because it you can't, they're not going to pull you over in the sky, the Zetas or the Sinaloga cartel or anyone like that to extort money. They can't do it as long as you land at a secure airport where there's uh, the army or the police or, you know, it's it's secure. It's under security uh, of the state that you're in or the federal government. Then there's less chance of being robbed that way and having trouble. So yeah. That's my plan to try to start utilizing my Cessna airplane. It's a four place. I can take three people, a lot of luggage, or three or four skinny people, a little luggage. Uh-oh. Anyway, uh, uh, I got someone trying to call me. Let me decline the call. There we go. I didn't lose y'all. All right. So That's I, good. I, I, yeah. It's an, it's an airplane pilot wanting to talk to me <laughs> from American Airlines. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. Elvis for having me on here. I appreciate it. Um, so, so, how have, you want to ask? Uh, so how long have you been flying your airplane in New Mexico? Uh, well, this one I have right now hasn't made the trip down there, but I have I've permitted it seven years in a row. And so, uh, uh, but I flew with Charles Henry, I think three times, two or three times down there. I've got about 30 hours of flying time in Mexico in his airplane. You know, he would fly a little bit when the winds would get real rough and the thermals would get rough. It's a little hard for him to handle at his age, so then I would take over and fly it. Then I, I'd get my log-in time. But, yeah, I've got uh, about 30 hours logged in in, in his Cessna 7530 Tango was a tail number. Yeah. What was, mm-hmm. what was the most challenging um, area that you went to in Mexico? The most challenging? Yes. Uh, in, in the way of, in the way of encountering violence or or, 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 or evangelism or doing ministry. Uh, I tell you, I I think I think where I'm at had been very challenging because I was there enough years that I've seen the religious spirits that existed, and uh, you know I really got a first hand on how things were operating there. But I had been, uh, I'm trying to remember where it was. We were just flat rejected there. Uh, some little some little town, they just didn't want us. They just wanted us out of there. I can't can't think where it was at right now. But that, that happens a lot. You get in a church, and I can remember one time ministering, and people were throwing rocks on the tin roof. So, you know, when, of course, a rock hits a tin roof, it makes a lot of noise. And it made it very impossible to... Uh, to, to minister like that. But I, I thank the Lord, no broken windows or sliced tires or anything like that. Yeah. What is the um, um, the best um, place that you went to preach in, in um, you know, best place that you went to preach in Mexico where you were more fruitful? Uh, well, there was an orphanage church there that... Um, uh, that's where the light, I want to say that's where the light was really came on for me. Um, they had asked me to minister there and my Spanish was quite, was very limited back in the day. And they had asked me to minister there. They're the ones that assigned me that church that I was at for seven years. It belonged, it was under covering of an orphanage. And, uh, and, and I went there to try to work with the orphanage, but the guy said, well, can you preach? I said, yeah, a little bit. So, uh, a couple of days they had me preach 
And that evening I preached, is the arm of the Lord too short that it that it's unable to save? Of course, it's able to save. And so I, I ministered on that out of Isaiah. And after I ministered that night, a lot of people fell out in the spirit. Uh, it was it was a very noisy meeting. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. People would would come forward for prayer, and they, they would before we could even touch them, they were falling over on top of each other and. And the lady that had the orphanage, she's oh, the anointing is here. She can speak a little English. Oh, the unction is here tonight, brother. Don't stop. Go touch everybody. Go touch them. Be them all. And she wanted to just go out there and touch people. Well, I wanted them to come forward for the touch. So we kind of had a happy medium on that and got through that night. But that was the eye-opener night for me because the people that had the orphanage said, no, 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 no. We don't want you in the orphanage you got the gift to preach. you got the healing, anointing. We need for you to go out in these, these ranches where these churches don't have no pastors, and you need to go out there and minister out there, and we're going we're gonna to tell you where they're all at, and we're going to do our best to, to, to let them know you're coming so they'll be expecting you. And so that's what I, I did. That was, that was the eye-opener that I, really, that I really had the goods in Spanish. You know, I kind of struggled in English, but when it came to Spanish, it seemed like I could sing their song. Once I learned their songs, I could sing them real good because I had good pronunciation. I could figure out how to do it on the guitar. And so a lot of things went very smooth for me in that area. But, uh, yeah, yeah, there in Saltillo, I ministered under the tent in Saltillo. Uh, that was another big meeting for me where I ministered on uh, when the righteous rule, the city rejoices. And that's right before the drug cartel really raised its head and got very violent, right before they sent those guns to Mexico under the uh, uh, Obama administration. They sent all those uh, AR-15s down there to provoke the cartel into being bad boys. So anyway, yeah, I had, I had ministered on that when the, when, the, when the righteous rule, the city rejoices. But when the, when the evil or when the bad are in control, then there's crying in the streets and uh that was that was a that was a big night for me too at night because i knew that was really a word of the lord and i think the people understood it very well because they could see it coming they could see that that the cartel was going to rise its head and they were already starting to kill people and stuff already by then and it was it was getting getting moving that direction yeah okay um, what, what's your um, ministry um, activities now? Um, you, you say you go there like once a week. What is your um, activities and and what do you do um, right now there? Okay. Well, I minister in a little little small group, which you've been there with me. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and it's mostly children. So I have to yeah. try to keep the children in mind. And so in my early years in Mexico, uh, because I'd spent time learning the rest truths and stuff like that. Everything had a, you know, a point A, B, and C to it. But when I went to Galeana, the Lord said, don't do that. I want you to get one scripture and minister off one scripture. And I go, oh, no, 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 Lord. I got to have two scriptures or three scriptures. And he would give them to me to match up with the first scripture that he would put in my heart to minister on. So what I do there with the kids there, uh, you know, I, I – I pray and pray and pick out a scripture that's that I want to minister on. And then I go with that scripture and I try to keep it real short and simple and then and then I usually say Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. 
Jesus on them. Okay, and then I sing that, and then I, if you need a healing, tell him what you want. And so I sing that in Spanish to him, and then we have a prayer time, and I try to pray for the sick kids and the sick adults. And so anyway, with that one scripture, like, for example, if we have a confidence in God, we can ask him whatever we want. You know, I mean, that's uh, over in First John. And I, and I told him, well, look, let's look at this other verse that says, if you lack a confidence, then Jesus becomes our confidence. Well, their eyes opened real wide. They were starting to get the point. I said, look, if you don't have confidence to do your, your work in school and stuff, ask Jesus to help you. He will become that confidence that you lack to do that, for example, or clean your house or help your mom or work downtown, whatever it is, whatever it is you need. If you don't have the confidence or you don't feel like you have the abilities, then you ask Jesus. And that, 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 that's kind of well, – things like that is what I try to present to the kids. That was one sermon I remember real particularly that I, I remember being a real eye-opener for them. And the last time I, I ministered on being made in the image of God and, uh, and how that affects us. And, and I wanted them to know, well, in schools in America, they teach us that we came from monkeys and apes. And I said, we did not come from monkeys and apes. We came from God. And once again, we get to talk to God because we're part of God's creation. And boy, their eyes got real big again. So I try to give them lessons like that, simple, oh, yeah. simple lessons that, 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 I, I, that I believe they can hang on to and remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did I lose you? You still there? Hello. Uh, I am. Oh, okay. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Elvis, are you still here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I think you went fixing him a hot tea to drink or something. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I came prepared with a Coke to drink on, but it makes my mouth feel all syrupy now. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd got a hot tea or something else. Can you hear me now? So, uh, yeah, well, I won't. where's everybody from? Are they from Nebraska? Is that where all these people are from? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, he got quiet. He doesn't want to tell me. Well, that's all right. I don't, I don't need to know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll turn on the um, um, air. Elvis, you're breaking up for some reason. Yeah, it's but hey, that, yeah, that's, um, that's okay. Let let me talk for a minute, Elvis. I'll be back to you. All right. Okay. One time down in Vallehermoso, uh, which is not very far, it means pretty valley. It's not very far from the valley that I live in, but this valley is in Mexico. It takes me about almost two hours from my house to get to that church where we're at. And I can remember in the height of the violence that we were down there, and the pastor had asked me one time. Am I scared to come in? And I said, well, you know, I was living here when all this was taking place, but yes, it, it is scary. And I told him, I said, you know, there's Psalms 27, and it's quoted a lot of times by Mexicans in, in Mexico. is like, you know, get up and give a text that you like. And it's a, it's a text that a lot of them like. You know, and, and y'all all know it. You know, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Even though the enemy camps round about me. And I stop right there. Aunque el enemigo acampa alrededor de mi pastor, even though that enemy is camped around me and you, I said we read that and it says that we're not to fear. 
And I said, we read it, we believe it, or at least we try to believe it. But I said, when the day comes when you, you know they're out there and you're walking in it, I said, to see it, to believe it, and then to do it is, is, a, whole, is a whole new different thing to do. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real real walk of faith, and it's very difficult to do. And the pastor really related to that. But in that town there, one night, uh, four bullets were shot at me and another it was an American I was interpreting for him. They were, we were shot at, but it was an open-air meeting. There was a lot of thunder and lightning, and the, and the speakers were right beside us. They got these big, huge speakers in Mexico. They want the whole colonial, the whole uh, suburb that we were in to hear the message. So we were shot at, and bullets were in the wall, actually in front of us. They were shooting from behind us, and it went across, missed me and the other man, four bullets, and went across and hit the wall behind the people where they were sitting. And the pastor's wife happened to hear, and so she, she told me two weeks later, you know, I heard the sound, and she said, me and the sister were sitting there, and we were looking around, and I said, well, I remember y'all wiggling your heads around. I thought y'all were acting a little goofy. And she said, no, we heard those bullets. And she said, the next day we went and dug out four bullets out of the neighbor's wall, you know, behind where everybody was sitting. And so... Uh, Anyway, yeah, I thought it was strange. I quoted that verse and then those, uh, you know, with that pastor, and then that, that happened to us. Okay, Elvis, are you with us? Are you still making yeah. some hot tea? Okay, I'm going to give it back to Elvis then. Uh-oh. Wow. Maybe, I'm, maybe I have to fill in some more. What do you think? <laughs> go, go ahead and expound some more. Well, I want to give the other man some time to speak. Uh, uh, y- yeah, okay. Well, anyway, there are some things that that are very interesting about Mexico. There's a lot of good people down there. And I know there's a lot of criminals coming across. And so I, I just, I, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I lived always lived close to the border here growing up. And the illegals would come across looking for work. And back then, they would. My dad had a dairy farm, and they would would go in the room where he mixes feed for the cows. They seemed to know, as a child, it seemed to me that these people that were illegals knew that if they got to my daddy's farm ranch, that if they got in that spot where they mixed the feed, there was some soft sacks to lay on and stuff, and they could rest. And my dad would give them some crackers and sardines and and let them rest there and, and send them on their way. Uh, but nowadays it's not that way. There's so many criminals. You, you don't know who's good and who's bad, but I just want to say there are a lot of good people in Mexico. There's a lot of really good Christians down there and they would give their lives to, to protect us. But there's just a lot of criminals too come, coming across with a lot of people that are just looking for work. And I, I think oh. a lot of Americans oh, I'm back. don't maybe don't. Oh, hey, there he is. You got your hot tea yes, made. I'm All back. right, great. Well, I'll let you have it, buddy. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Errol to explain, to share his, his um, experiences and his work on, on this mountain over in, in Mexico. Amen. Yeah. Am I Amen. To push something on my, yeah. Am I supposed to push something on my phone, a star six or something? I don't know. No. No, no. I'll just stay. No. I'll stay on the line. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you can just stay there. Yeah, go ahead. I'll be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this is uh, – I appreciate 
Glenn's testimony of it's uh it's wonderful. The Lord says go into all the world and and uh preach the gospel and make disciples and that's what uh a handful of people do and uh we take it seriously. So I ended up in uh well, where do I start on this one? <clears throat> I'll try to keep it short, but you can also ask questions. Uh, I hooked up. I was on a 40-day fast. I was in uh, Maryland. Uh, I had quit my secular job, and I asked in uh, October of 1997. I quit my secular job, and I put a few clothes in the trunk of my car, and I asked the Lord, I want to be led of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I have no direction I'm going. I have no uh, 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 point of of uh, going to or returning from. I just want to be led of your spirit on a daily basis. And I started the 40-day fast, and I ended up down in uh, Florida and uh, up into Maryland. And while I was in Maryland... <coughs> I didn't have a cell phone. I had one of these little, what do you call them? Uh, I can't even remember what they used to call them. They were a little, they were a little uh, buzzer that you kind of put on your belt, and, and uh, if somebody was trying to call you, it would buzz you, and it would show you the phone number. Uh, and it, I can't even remember what they call those things. They, I don't think anybody even uses them anymore. But... It went off, and and there's a phone number there, and I didn't recognize the phone number, but I gave a call back, and it was this uh, Clint Glennie out of Las Vegas. And uh, he said, I I have a need for 200 missionaries, and he said, I hear you're a missionary, and I'm just about ready to cross the border into Mexico to uh, – ministered to some Indians down there, and I'd like you to come to Vegas and, and uh, look at the ministry here and, and maybe come down to Mexico with me. So we started kind of, you know, it's like, well, who are you? You know, how would you get a hold of my phone number? And, and uh, just trying to figure out where everybody was standing here. And I, and I had told him, I said, I had been trying to get a get a hold of David Hogan, and uh, he's got part of his ministry is out of Edinburgh, Texas. And uh, I had been trying to get a hold of David Hogan to maybe go down into Mexico. And uh, Clint said, well, he had been trying to get a hold of David Hogan, too, to get him up into Las Vegas. And I thought, well, okay, we've got a common denominator here. I, I, we're, we're on the same page here. Uh, we're, you know... If I want to hook up with the ministry, we have to be on the same same page. So anyway, uh, I'll I'll cut the rest of it out here, and I ended up going down into Mexico, and the first time was in 1998, and uh, Clint had gone down there three years earlier in 1995, I believe it was, and he was just being led of the Holy Spirit to go down there. And as he was going up this mountain, as he was led of the Spirit, there was another vehicle coming down from the mountain, 
and he stopped to talk to him. And he, and I don't know if anybody on the listening here knows who uh, Wesley and Stacy Campbell are, but they they were a ministry out of Kelowna, uh, British Columbia. They're out of California today, but they were an uh, in, in international ministry. And Wesley Campbell was coming down. And it's like, what's the chances of of meeting somebody out of another ministry that you already know, but you didn't know that they were down there, and they didn't know you were coming up, but you meet them in the middle of this mountain in the middle of nowhere. The Holy Ghost, that's who arranges these things. And Wesley Campbell had said that uh, he was just coming down. He had met some Indians up there that were still doing human sacrifices. And uh, so Clint went up there and and started ministering, and and he had, over the course of a couple years, he had gotten some water uh, run down from a a top of a mountain down into uh, that was higher up than where they lived and was able to get some water up in there, but there was no electricity or anything. And most of the Indians up there, they're called the Taramara. A lot of people see them where they've got very colorful clothing and they sell things along the side of the road. Uh, but they don't, uh, most of them don't speak Spanish. They speak Taramara. And you cannot go to school to learn Taramara. You can only learn that if you go and live amongst them. So anyway, Clint had been going down there for a period of about three years and uh, taking a little group down, and he would stay for a week or two and minister to them and uh, and then come back, and uh, he would give them food and, and, and ministry and and whatnot. And, uh, but he was seeing a need to, to build a, a, a mission base down there. And so I've been involved in construction for many years. And, and, uh, and so anyway, I met up with Clint, and we take a trip down there. And uh, I think it was probably June, the first time of 1998. And uh, this place, uh, we went through uh, El Paso and um, Juarez, go down into uh, Chihuahua, and then cut across west over to Cuauhtémoc uh, and over into a little town called Juanita, and then the the little city that last little city that we based out of was a little city by the name of Creel, and it's in the Copper Canyon, and uh, that's at that's at the bottom of the mountains, and and uh, uh, so we would we would get some material and some supplies there in Creel. And then we would go up into the mountain to these uh, Taramara. And there's a place up there called Raramuchi. I don't know. I, I, uh, you know, I don't speak very much uh, Spanish, Mexican. Well, actually, I do. I speak uh, taco and burrito and enchilada. And, you know, I've got that down pretty good, but that's about it. And, and, uh, so I don't know where this name Raramuchi or why they call it Raramuchi, but that's what that's what it's called. And uh, uh, the 
Indians gave us a little plot of land up there. The Taramara gave us a little plot of land up there to build uh, a mission base. And by building this mission base, they could send people down there for full time if they wanted to or for, you know, longer stays than two weeks at a time or whatever. And, um, and then we ended up meeting with uh, David Hogan, and David Hogan said that once they get the mission base built down there, let him know, and he would like to go up there because he had never uh, met that group of Indians before, and he'd like to minister there too. And so uh, I went down, and uh, uh, five times I went down. I think it was uh, 1999 I went down for the duration to uh, build this uh, mission base down there. And uh, I, in Creel, there was a little YWAM base that was there that I was staying at for a brief period of time uh, for a couple weeks until things, until I could get other things organized. And uh, I made it up to the mountaintop there, and, and uh, we started building the mission base. And, and uh, it was quite a, quite a thing because we had to, bring all the logs up there. The Mexican government, the, the uh, Taramara, wanted to give us all of the building material, which, which what we built everything out of was logs. We, we built log cabins up there. And the Taramara wanted to give us the logs to build, but the Mexican government wouldn't allow them to do that. So I had to go down to different places all over, from Cuauhtémoc to, uh, I mean, I went to many, many places buying logs from the Mexican government to bring them up on top of the mountain to, so we could build this mission base. And uh, the, only, the only tool that we actually had that was power, the only power tool we had was a steel chainsaw gas chainsaw everything else they did it with axe and uh ads and adz and uh, uh i hired the of uh, taramara to uh help build and uh i paid them they were they were normally they were paid about 50 pesos a day uh i paid them 150 pesos a day I paid them union wages. They'd never heard of paying. They've never heard of that high of wages before. Hallelujah. And uh, pardon? Hallelujah. I'm just saying hallelujah. Yeah. And so uh, I had a crew up there, and and uh, they wanted to work seven days a week, twelve hours a day. And I said no. I said we're going to work maximum of uh, ten hours a day, maximum. And I said, we're, we're taking uh, Saturdays and Sundays off. I said, we're, uh, we're not going to break backs. They, at first, they were, they were lifting. I don't know how they did it. Some of these guys are a lot smaller than me. But when the first day we were up there, they would put an entire log on their back and carry it over to the uh, work site. I said, no, 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 no. I said, Two men on a log. I said, "There's nobody's carrying one log by themselves. Two men per log." 
and uh, they they couldn't understand that. I said, well, we're not nobody's getting injured, and we're not slave drivers. <laughs> and uh, so we started building, uh, mixed up concrete up there, and uh, mixed all the concrete by hand, and and poured a foundation and started building. And uh, we built three uh, facilities up there. Uh, the first one was 12 by 12, and it was a two-story. Uh, they didn't; they'd never seen a two-story. They didn't know how to build a two-story, and uh, we did it on the fly. We built a two-story, and uh, and then the the middle one. So the the uh, 12 by 12 was like if only one missionary would go up there by himself, or maybe a husband and a wife. That would probably be all the bigger they needed. It was a 12 by 12 two-story. And uh, I designed the the uh, kitchen. I designed the bathroom. It got showers and and uh, uh, stools in it, water closets in it. It's got a kitchen sink in it. We've got hot water in them. I uh, designed a septic system up there and a, a drainage system. And uh, and then the the middle building was 24 by 24. And that was two stories high. That also on the first floor, we had uh, showers. We had the whole, you know, the bathroom, the uh, shower, the bathroom, the the kitchen, and we had uh, wood stoves in all of them for heat. Uh, but that middle one, that's 24 by 24, was also two stories. And then the top floor was basically what we anticipated would be like the main meeting room. Uh, if they ever got a church going up there. And then we built another 12 by 12 two-story on the north side of that. And these were all interconnected. So in between the 12 by 12 and the 24 by 24, we had these storage rooms where people could, uh, you know, uh, store up whoever. They could store food there. They could store canned food. They could store all kinds of uh, material or food or whatever in these uh, interconnected storage rooms and so um, we would work anywhere from eight to ten hours a day usually a ten-hour day and I would be staying up there and uh, when I first stayed there they had this other little uh, building that they used for storage and uh, I could throw a sleeping bag in there and sleep in there, and you slept with all the furry little uh, gray creatures that ran all over the place. Some people call them mice, I guess. <laughs> and uh, we got up there, and we didn't have any refrigeration or anything. My interpreter uh, owned a KOA campsite in Creel, and so he was my interpreter, and he could speak you know, interpret English to uh, tar uh, he could speak English and interpret it to Spanish, Mexican. And then we had a, another gentleman up on top there that could speak Taramara in Spanish. And you have to wonder that from the, from my English to Spanish to Taramara, if what I said, if it ever translated properly. But it was uh, unique that when I first started, before I before we actually started building, and uh, 
the Taramara wanted to have a conference meeting and uh, it was the first time a white man had ever been allowed in the conference. It was the first time in their history that they allowed women to be in, the, in, in, in this, in this uh, conference. And uh, they, even the, the uh, elders of the Taramara, the chief and the elders even allowed the women to ask me questions. I mean, it was, it was really open. It was the first time in their entire history that anything like this had ever been allowed. And so I was, I was answering questions about why we wanted to go up there, why we were building these, uh, why we were, wanted to build these buildings and, and whatnot. And, and uh, there was a Catholic church there that was on the same property that was 400 years old at which they actually did the human sacrifices in also they they would sacrifice babies on the altar in the Catholic Church and uh, so I've got pictures of all this stuff I don't have any pictures of them uh, sacrificing babies but the altar was in there and all of the tools that they used was in there and I took pictures of all those but I, I, I should go back just a little bit in 1995, that day when Clint was going up the mountain and Wesley Campbell was coming down the mountain, Clint got up to the top of the mountain and he met the chief, and the chief's name was Juan. And uh, Clint began ministering to him and led him to the Lord. And as soon as he was led to the Lord, he heard the audible voice of God speak out of heaven. And, and the Lord said, stop the sacrifices now. And uh, in their system, the shaman isn't the one that determined the sacrifices. The chief determined, the shaman determined when to have them, but he couldn't have them unless the chief said, oh, uh, approved it. And so everything still had to be approved through the chief. And when God told him to stop the sacrifices now, he stopped sacrificing right then and there. And the shaman would get mad, but he wouldn't allow any more sacrifices. And so when I was up there, uh, this is about three or four years later, uh, they had gotten, we had gotten about 250 of them saved and uh, they're you know they don't have senses like we have uh, a census meaning population count but it was estimated that this group that was up on the top of the mountain they estimated it to be maybe 40,000 and most of them lived in caves they lived outside they lived in caves they didn't live actually in houses like like uh, we normally think and so we were up there giving blankets. Some of them had never seen a blanket before. Uh, uh, I went down there with $36,000 cash and uh, bought material and, and uh, blankets and all kinds of stuff. I never took one penny out to buy a pop or a, or a candy bar or a piece of gum I never took one penny out all thirty six thousand dollars went into building material and and uh, blankets and things for the for the tribe 
And uh, so we, like every weekend, uh, my translator and I would come down from the mountain, um, usually on a Saturday, and then we'd spend the, you know, sometimes it would be Friday night, but we'd spend Saturday and Sunday looking around for new uh, uh, logs and, and building material, going to Quatemoc and all the different cities. Quatemoc is about as far away as we ever had to go for material. And uh, while I suppose I'd been there for about two months at this time, and I came up to the mountaintop one Monday morning, and none of the guys were working, and uh, they were kind of all standing around. And uh, when I say all of them, I had uh, what I had about eight people that were that were helping, six to eight people. And uh, so my, I asked my translator, I said, what, "What's going on here?" And so he goes and talks to them, and he comes back a little bit later. He said. Uh, this is pretty serious. I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, the Catholic priest came up yesterday, which is Sunday, and found out what we were doing up there. And he told them that when I came up, this, uh, the next time I came up, he told them to stone me to death. And this uh, Catholic priest was a kind of a leader of the Zapapistas, which is a communist group out of Mexico that uh, is for the overthrow of the Mexican government. Not not every Catholic priest is is uh, with the Zapapistas, but this one out of Creel was. He had not been up there for like five years, and somebody you know someplace along the line he heard about some person up there building a mission base or something, and so he had to come up to see what was going on. And so he told them to stone me to death the next time they saw him, saw me. And so I looked at him. I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, well, we, we want to continue building the mission base. I said, well, let's go then. Let's, let's continue building. So that day we continued building, and, and uh, they have like a chief of police up there. And he was half Taramara and half uh, Mexican. And the Taramara, the Mexican government wouldn't allow a Taramara to be like a chief of police up there. But because this guy was half and half, they allowed him to be the, the uh, chief of police. And uh, I started staying at, their, at his house. And he was married. Uh, his wife's name was Chloe. And, uh, and she was the... She was the head the leader of the catholic church on the mountain when the catholic priest didn't come up so that night when i was having supper with them i asked chloe well so she's the one that's actually telling me the whole story you know and it's all being translated and everything and and i asked her i said well when the priest asked you to stone me to death i said what was what was going through your mind she just had this uh, <laughs> look on her face, and she said, when he told us to stone you, she said, I wanted to stone him. <laughs> uh, I said, well, we, we don't do that. So uh, 
I got along really well with them. I won their hearts over. We built this mission base. Uh, it took about four months to build it. And I've got pictures of it that I show around, but there's no way I can show it uh, this way. But uh, it turned out a beautiful uh, uh, building uh, complex. And, uh, and then I came back home. Uh, when I was there, uh, I guess Glenn is one of the few people that could really probably relate to this, but like in the city of Creel, when I would come down there, I, I could take a shower there, but the, the water that would come out of the shower head looked like uh, coffee with cream in it. I mean, it, it, that, it, it, it was tan colored. And you could, you could fill your hand with shampoo, fill your hand with shampoo and try put bu get bubbles in your hair and it wouldn't even bubble. And uh, uh, I mean, it, it was like, uh, I don't know if I was any cleaner coming out of the shower than when I went in. So basically, I, I, you know, I don't think I really took a shower for probably the four months that I was there. But, you know, everybody, you're working together and everything. You don't smell yourself. You don't smell them after a while. You don't smell anything because everybody smells the same. So uh, we, we got the thing built. Uh, after the eight, ten hours that we would work, I'd go to uh, the chief of police house and then I would teach uh, every night until about midnight or 1 a.m. in the morning and then we'd go to work again at 7 o'clock the next morning and that's that's how we would do it Monday through uh, Friday usually and uh, I didn't want any of them to work on on weekends I said that you know this is what we uh, we worship the Lord on we'd always have prayer and everything and I was teaching them it was kind of neat because the first night I was up there to to teach I asked them if they had a Bible and uh, they looked at each other and they said well uh, our son doesn't live here anymore but he had a Bible and so they dug through his uh, uh, you know his clothing and stuff that he still had there and they found his Bible and here's again is the way the Holy Spirit works it's like Glenn was saying turn right here and turn here and turn here and he was just within a block of that person's house we have to be a people led of the spirit Hallelujah. and uh, and when uh, when I started teaching every time I teached every night I taught they would open up that Bible that their son had and their son would have the scripture that I was teaching on highlighted in yellow and they were so amazed at that. But uh, we got along really great. I don't know, again, when I was teaching, how my translator translated it. He was a Baptist, but that don't mean anything because he, he, he drank a fifth of uh, whiskey every weekend when we went down to his house. Uh, you know, I, I guess I won't get into that much, but... but uh, he got up there, and we didn't have refrigeration up there or anything, and, and uh, we didn't have any ice cubes or nothing, and we would buy luncheon meat, 
Monday morning and drive up to the top of that mountain and we'd be sitting there eating off this luncheon meat at noontime and it was never um, refrigerated. And uh, we were coming down from the mountain one day and uh, Marco said, Andy, he said, I, 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 don't, I can't come up here anymore. I said, why not? He said, because I get sick every time I come up here. He said, I get sick on the food. He said, I just can't make it. And I said, well, I said, I noticed that when I pray for my meal, I said, you don't wait for me to pray. You're, you're already uh, uh, gorging yourself with your food. I said, the word of God says all food is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. I said, after this, I said, you come up here but you don't start eating until I pray. Well, I, you know, he, he did his religious thing, but he agreed to it. And the next week we started the same thing that we did every, every day, but I prayed for the food and he waited for me to pray for it and he never got sick from it from that time on. We have to take that word of God and believe what it says. And so... In the evening teaching, I was teaching on healing because they had, they had a doctor that would come up there from the Mexican government. They had a doctor that would come up with two nurses about once a year, and they would uh, try to do, they would try to do uh, ministry to the Indians there, to the Taramara, but it was just all show and no go because basically they would bring up a bunch of, uh, you know, tequila or beer or whatever, and they would have an orgy up there. The doctor and the nurses would have an orgy and they, they would just get drunk and they wouldn't do any ministry to any, any medical help to the Indians at all. And so I was up there, I heard about that and I said, well, look, you don't have to trust these doctors. Jesus is great physician. And so I took them through teaching on healing. And of course, you can teach and teach and teach all you want, but you've got to have a demonstration of the power also. And the, one of the guys that was sitting there, he was listening to me, and I got about you know 11 o'clock at night, something like that. And he and he he was always real quiet. He never really said anything. But this night I was teaching on healing, and he spoke up and he said, will your God heal my baby? I said, yeah, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. He said, well, our baby is about four months old, five months old. And when he was born, he was born with uh, this rash from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And he cries all day long. He cries all night long. He, all he does is cry. The only time he doesn't cry is when he's nursing. And I said, well, I said, yeah, he'll, I'm sure God will heal him. So he said, I'm going to go get my wife. And so I don't know where he lived. He was, uh, he's lived up in the mountain someplace, but he took off. And about an hour later, he came back with his wife. And uh, the baby was, was attached and uh, nursing, and in my uh, modesty, I didn't want to 
interrupt. I, you know, I, I, uh, it's, it's like, well, let the baby nurse, and, and when the baby's done nursing, then I'll pray for the baby. But the baby never really quit. And uh, the hour was getting to be about 1 o'clock in the morning, and, and I realized that, you know, I've got to stuff my modesty because the modesty is, is, a, is a problem. And so uh, I went over to the woman and uh, anointed the baby with oil, I prayed for the baby, and uh, we basically ended, kind of ended the service that night, and everybody went home. And the next morning, we came to work, and uh, this man always wore a white cowboy hat, and uh, he was always kind of sullen. And uh, that morning, I walked onto the job. And he looked around the corner of the house when I came, and he had a smile on his face from ear to ear. And he came running over to me, and the baby had been completely healed that next morning. There was no rash. The baby was completely fine. And uh, I won the hearts of the I won the hearts of the Taramara. Uh, it's unique the way God worked. Uh, I don't know if I should, you know, I could go on longer, but I'll ask uh, uh, Elvis, uh, do you want to end this at 8 o'clock or what? Oh, Elvis is gone again. Is anybody else on here? I'm with you. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll I'll just. I'll I'll tell you that when you touch a child like that, because that happened for me in Reynosa, but it gets the attention of people. This is a good testimony. Keep keep at it. Don't stop. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, they were learning that they could that they could pray for their own people. That they didn't have to uh, be dependent on a medical system that was so corrupt. Um, I, I think our medical system here in the United States is corrupt, but the medical system in Mexico is is as corrupt, if not more. At least to the uh, at least to the uh, Taramara. So they were beginning to learn all this stuff, and and uh, I won their hearts, and I was learning Taramara, and and uh, uh, they, I mean, everything went really well. We 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 got these places built up. They they turned out beautiful, and uh, uh, we ha- uh, Clint had gotten a guy from. Uh, he used to be at Clint's church in Las Vegas, but the guy had moved to Florida, but he was one of these uh, electrical um, geniuses. And so he came back for, out of Florida, and they bought all this material and came down. They had a hard time getting it across the border, but they, they finally made it across the border. And it was all solar batteries and solar uh, chargers and all kinds of stuff and they ended up putting that in the uh, one of the storage rooms that we had in between the the buildings and then uh, we ran electrical so that all three of the buildings had electricity and uh, it took them a couple days to get everything all hooked up and the wires all run and everything and that first night I suppose there's maybe 25, maybe maybe up to 50 of the Taramara there standing outside, and they flipped the switch, and the lights came on, 
they've never had electricity up there before. Hallelujah. They were just absolutely amazed at that. I, I mean, all of us were. I was amazed at it, too. So it had the little wind turbine. It had uh, solar panels. It had all kinds of stuff. But, you know, that, uh, that stuff eventually breaks down. So I don't know where it is. You know, I don't know what condition it is today. I haven't been. 2001 was the last time I was back there. We we got it all built up, and, and I came back, and I went to work in the trade again, and, and uh, I was working on a pay on a, a sugar beet factory shut down in uh, northern North Dakota here, and Clint called me up, and uh, I said, well, what's going on? He said, uh, you've got to go down back down to the, uh, Mexico right away. I said, okay, so I quit my job. I mean, money's money, big deal. Uh, God is my provider. My job is not my, my provider. Oh, and yeah. so I went, uh, I quit my job. And, you know, when you quit your job, you don't get unemployment. But uh, this, is, this is too critical of a thing. I asked Clint what's going on. He said the shaman, uh, they've got a new chief, and the shaman wants to start sacrifices again so i flew into uh, el paso and then he had a, a little uh, his associate pastor and a little team come down from vegas and they met me at the airport there and we went back down into mexico and we had to settle some of this stuff we had to win some more people and and we were talking with the new chief and lo and behold he got saved again and uh so the sacrifices never started. And what was unique about, about this is that, you know, they, they never had hunting, uh, what do you want to call it, conservation. And so like the deer and whatever animals that used to be there, they were killed off a long time ago. And so there's, there's nothing up there. And so these taramara, the only thing they live on is corn and potatoes. That's, that's their entire diet, is corn and potatoes. And so one of the ways that Clint started reaching out to them uh, before I had ever gotten there, is he began bringing corn and potatoes up to them and uh, giving it to them. And what was unique is that when they, got, when they would get saved, the ones that were not saved would have these, like one ear of corn and two potatoes in the in the hill and that was it you know and they'd, they'd have a bunch of corn and a bunch of potatoes but it was just this real you know famine type thing every family that got saved they would have like five six seven ears on the corn stalk and they would have 10 or 12 potatoes in the potato hill and the other ones would come up and, you know, they would all be planting the same corn. They'd all be planting the same potatoes. They, it was all the same kind of ground. And they would ask them, how come your, how come your produce is pro outproducing ours? And they, you know, the ones that were saved said, well, we don't know. It must be Jesus. And that was one of the main ways that they were, that the tribe themselves were winning others to Jesus is just because of the way God was blessing them. So, Hallelujah. Uh, uh, you know, I, when I came back, I, 
I went down there by myself with my car, and uh, uh, there, there's so much demonic activity. You know, I, I don't like, I don't like Halloween and the way that Americans celebrate Halloween. Uh, it's a demonic. It's it's demonic from from start to finish. Churches in the United States celebrate it. I mean, it just makes me sick. But I got down to Creel, and uh, the way that they celebrate Halloween down there blows us right off the map. They would dig up skeletons, cadavers, and they would dance with these th- these cadavers in the in the middle of of the of the town square. Their celebration would go for about two weeks. And the animals would go insane, the horses would go insane, the sheep, the cows, anything that was out there, they would bleat, they would, uh, 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 the horses would, would uh, whinny. I mean, it, it was just the dogs would bark, 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 and howl, howl, howl all night long every day for about two weeks. And their, their uh, celebration of Halloween down there is just absolutely demonic, right? I mean, so it, it has so strong demonism, demonism to it. I couldn't believe it. I did not go down into the town square. I just, you know, my translator and everybody told me about what was going on down there. Now, that's not necessarily what the Taramara did. That's what they were doing in the city of Creel. That's what the local folk would do in the city of Creel. And uh, I had, in the, in the beginning of the time, I, you know, I, I didn't write down notes here, so I'm a little bit uh, kind of jumping around here in, in time frame. But when I first moved there, I, I was saying that I was staying at a YWAM base. And... Uh, there was a gal that was at the YWAM base that was from the U.S. here, and she had married a Taramara. And so she was, you know, full-time down there. And so there were four, there was, uh, four, there was four people, there was two couples at the YWAM base, and they invited me over for dinner one day. It was on a Sunday afternoon, and I went over there and, and uh, they were pretty, pretty poor, very poor, and where they had uh, a one-quart pan of soup on the stove. There were five of us, and in that one-quart pan of of, uh, uh, of of soup, there was hardly it was basically broth, and. Uh, they they gave a couple you know tablespoons in each bowl and that's basically all we had that was it we prayed and uh had a wonderful time of fellowship and uh, i left there and they they had this other little building there where i was staying and uh i went back there to lay down on the cot and i realized that i was with just that little bit a few little tablespoons of this broth and the wonderful fellowship and the prayer and the intercession that we had, 
I laid down on that couch, couch or that little cot that I had when I got back to my, my little pad there, so to speak, and I realized that I was as full as what I had ever been at, at say, a Thanksgiving dinner. God did not multiply the soup in the pan. He multiplied the soup in the belly. We don't, we don't want to limit the Holy One of Israel in the way that he works. There's too many people limit the Holy One of Israel. We think well, God did it this way one time, and he's going to do it this way the same way every time. No, let's just let God be God and let him do it the way that he wants to do it. We don't want to put limitations on him. If he wants to multiply the food on the stove and let the pan overflow, that's fine. But if he wants to just take a couple tablespoons and multiply it in your stomach, let him do it that way too, because he can do it. I was stuffed with only a couple tablespoons. That was it. And so God provided, when I was down there, there was another missionary. I had never met him, but there was a missionary that was to the south of me that had been killed. Uh, He was trying to reach a group that were uh, deep into the uh, drug cartels there. The drug cartels aren't so much up on the top of the mountains because that's kind of arid, but down in the valleys, uh, there's some rich, you know, there, the water's there. There's some rich uh, land down in the valley. The Copper Canyon is five times larger than the Grand Canyon. The Copper Canyon is huge, and it's beautiful. It's got a little bit different beauty than, than what the Grand Canyon is, but it's massive. And, uh, but down in the, in the uh, river uh, valleys is where so much of the drug uh, is being grown and whatnot. Well, that's what this missionary was attempting to reach them, and he, they, he got killed. And I heard about that. And so one of our trips to look for logs, I ended up in that little city. Now, the guy was killed outside the city someplace. I don't know exactly where, but he is someplace around that city. But, uh, but my translator and I ended up in that city and I was able to do some intercession. I wish I would have known closer where it would, was that he was killed. I would have uh, uh, had communion. I would have had the Lord's Supper if I could have located it. But uh, uh, I, I didn't know exactly where it was at. And so, but, I, but nonetheless, we tried to press the message as far as I could. My uh, Baptist uh, translator. Uh, I, I was getting towards the end of the building session there, and he had seen the healing. He had seen the uh, different things that God had been doing, miraculous things of, of uh, trucks making it up there. Uh, it was a four-wheel drive. Uh, you needed four-wheel drive or a, a, a trail bike to get up there. I had a little 250 Honda trail bike. I was able to get up there with that. Uh, but these these uh, trucks would come up. I have no idea how they ever made it up there and made it back again. Uh, they did, but they, they delivered all of that lumber up there, all of that tree-length lumber. The smallest piece we had was probably 5-inch. Most of it was 7-inch um, logs. Uh, 
And uh, we built that whole thing. It turned out beautiful. And uh, uh, it, it was just an incredible endeavor. And since that time, Clint went back down again and uh, turned it all back over to the, to the uh, tribe. And so um, he felt that there was enough of them that were being saved and, and uh, uh, that they could carry on the ministry down there without people from the United States coming down. And so, uh, and, and that's what the gospel is all about, to get it indige- indigenous, to get it amongst the people that they don't, need, uh, they don't need outsiders, they need to be taught from the inside. So uh, I guess if you have any questions or clarifications, there's mm-hmm. so much more I could say, but that's, uh, the time is, is uh, slipping by oh, here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll just leave it at that. Amen. Does everyone hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, can everyone, Great. Um, Great. anyone, anyone that's that muted, they can unmute themselves. They just got to click um, star six. They can unmute themselves. So uh, does anyone want to ask any questions to Errol or, or Glenn? Well, I'd like to ask a question. Uh, okay. This Copper Canyon, was that south of... Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the town, uh, uh, Casa Grande. You know where that's at, by chance? Hey. Well, from from Chihuahua, uh-huh. from Chihuahua, you go east from Ch- or not east, you go west from Chihuahua to uh, sure. another bigger city called Cuauhtémoc, okay. and then it's just about straight south of Cuauhtémoc. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, I have a friend, Jerry, Jerry Wiley. He flew some stuff out there in his airplane for some people one time. I thought it might have been y'all, but I think he was closer to Casa Grande. It's probably somebody else. It was just a curiosity question. Hey, thanks. That was a good testimony. I really, I really think I'm really glad to be on the line here with you tonight. It's a real honor. Amen. Well, bless, Amen. bless you too, Glenn. I, your your testimony yeah. is is great. Yeah, you know, amen. It, 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 so much we can say, but we did as quick as we could with the little we had to, we could share, right? Yeah. yeah. And amen. and God, the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up. He's coming back again, and we're preaching the gospel with with power, with demonstration of the Holy Ghost, and fire. And that yes. uh, signs and miracles and wonders are part of the plan of God, and they still must go forth. And uh, I, I, I guess I, I, I cut it off here. I, I, I did want to say this, is that my, uh, my translator, I, I had said earlier he was a, one of these good Baptists that he, he drank a fifth of whiskey every weekend. And, and so the one weekend I was down there and... and uh, his wife was wonderful. His wife was just an uh, awesome Christian. And uh, I asked him if they had been baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so I started praying, and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like that. And yeah. uh, Marco, my translator, you, you had a hard time talking with him because he was just a chatterbox. He was just talking, 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 talking constantly. 
And that night when I prayed for him and his wife got baptized in the spirit, it was like the Lord put a zipper on his mouth. He couldn't say a word. And the next day, his dad, uh, his dad rode with us all the way down to that city where that other missionary had been killed. His dad rode with us. And his dad was asking him questions, and he still couldn't answer. And it was about noon the next day, that day, when he was finally able to open his mouth and talk. And he said, Andy, when you prayed for me, he said, I couldn't speak. I couldn't say a word. I thought, yeah, well, that's the work of God. <laughs> so, uh, so most of some of those mountain peaks down there are ten thousand feet or higher where he's at. They're they're way on up there. Yeah, we uh, we were right about eighty five, eighty six hundred feet. Yeah, because I'm that's, I'm sound where I'm more I'm more or less sound where you're at. There's a lot of ten thousand peaks higher than that here on my map. I was looking at an aviation map. Okay, hey, yep. sorry, I'm, I'm gonna be quiet for a while. Okay. No, that's okay. Yeah. So when when uh, Clint went down there and and ran water, uh, you know, miles and miles and miles of pipe of water, he went to the higher peaks there and found, you know, springs or whatever they were, and then ran it down to the 8,500, 8,600 level. And so that, mm-hmm. that's yeah. how they were getting the water down there. That makes perfect sense, yeah. So it was through, uh, you know, it was th- by, reaching the, uh, by reaching him, he first reached the chief, and the, and the Lord spoke to him to stop the sacrifices. And then they started running the water, and by do, you know, and then I I came up there with all that that money, and we started buying them blankets and everything. All of that was instrumental, also in reaching them. You know, everything that Amen. was done was instrumental in Hallelujah. reaching them. So. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, not not all of the Taramara tribes do uh, human sacrifices. Uh, they got about like, I, I can't remember what they said. I think it was like seven or eight different Taramara tribes. So the Taramara that we were ministering to up on top of the mountain and the Taramara that are in the valley, they don't even speak the same language. They can't even, they can't even relate to each other. It's a totally different language, but they're still Taramara. So we, we were reaching the ones that were up on the mountain there. But I ran into a similar situation down in Oaxaca, yeah, where they had like twelve different dialects over there. It, it can yeah. be, be kind of, kind of, kind of frustrating, yeah. Yeah, like uh, David Hogan said, you know, he went to uh, language school because he knew he was going to go into Mexico. He went to language school and took up uh, uh, Mexican, Spanish, whatever you call it. And then he gets down into Mexico and he ends up uh, ministering to the Aztec and all these different uh, nine different uh, Indian tribes that he never learned their language. I mean, it's got to it's it's got to come by the spirit. Mm-hmm. We we can prepare oh, yeah. and, and when we prepare, we end up uh, not doing it necessarily the way the Holy Ghost wants us. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can, can everyone hear me? Yes. Amen. That's good. Hallelujah. I'm on. I'm. I'm on a different phone. So my my other phone uh, somehow um, 
it wasn't. I don't know what was going on. But anyways, let's let's just pray. I'm gonna um I'm gonna pray. We'll close in prayer. Amen. Father. Yep. In the name of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, Lord, we just pray, Lord, for that that um that that you will send forth your angels, O oh God, to Mexico to solve these situations, O oh God. In the yes. name of Jesus, because the things that hinder the gospel, that hinder the people from developing, O oh God, Lord, that you will send your angel, O oh God, to that, that mountain, to those people in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you will send mm-hmm. former angels to deal with the drug cartel in Jesus' name, O oh God. Lord, you will send former angels to the border. All those children that are coming up, you will send former angels to minister them, O oh God. That you will stop every sex slave um, stuff going yes, on sure. in the name of Jesus Christ, oh God. Yes. And Father yes. God, that you will lift, oh God, the church in Mexico above all what is going on and so that they that, that they will glorify Christ and that many people will come to know Jesus Christ. And Father God, we pray, Lord, Lord, that that that, um, that America will stop they're evil. That 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 um, there's, there's all this drug stuff, which <laughs> is influence. That you will send for angels and stop this, oh God, so that the gospel may go freely through Mexico. And Lord God, that you will deal with the religious leaders, oh God, and all hitters of the gospel. So not just the gospel, but the the, the whole. Um, council of God that, that we know right mm-hmm. now will go there and that the church will develop, oh God, to the point that they are sending missionaries all over the earth and that they will not be um, um, a um, a different class of nation, that they will be, uh, that, that Canada and, and America and, and Mexico will be, that will rise up, oh God, and that, 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 that it's not about competition, oh God, but it's about, oh God, that, that, um, Lord God, that, that that your Holy Ghost is the nation builder, God. That you will build Mexico for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray, Lord, for Glenn that you will anoint him more. Lord, that that he will that he will lead the next the next um, Billy Graham, oh God, the the next um, 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 Mexican Billy Graham, oh God, to Christ. That he will lead people that will that will serve Christ, oh God. And that he will not just minister to the Lord. They, I pray for many generations of God. And I pray that, 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 that just across the world, that you open up many doors and many hearts and many homes of God. In the name of Jesus Christ of God. Lord, Father, Lord, we pray. Lord, because we know, oh God. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of God. And also, I pray, Lord, for Texas of God. And I pray for all border towns in America and all border towns in Mexico that border America. We pray mm-hmm. for a mighty move of God to come to them. We pray for yes. a mighty move of God in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, yes. in the name of Jesus Christ, oh God. Lord, that, 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 that fruitful, fruitful, fruitful and faithful churches will be built there, God, in Jesus' name. That people will not cross the border for this and that they will cross the border to hear the word of God. Lord, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray for yes. revival. We pray for a, 
a wall of fire, God. Lord, that, that as they cross through that wall of fire, they will be saved. They will be born and they will be baptized. They will be set free and delivered to God in both ways of God. If they cross over the border from this side, that wall of fire, they will be born again, saved, and filled with the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we know that, Jesus, you are the answer, God. And we know that revival has cleared, cleared every illness of God. Yeah. And, Lord, in a sense, in Zuzu Street, God, we've been having revival like every 15 years. And, Lord, but we have come to the time that you're about to, to bring a flood of the Holy Spirit like never before. And, Lord God, Lord, and, and, and it may seem that dark things are about to come, are coming upon America, God. And like, and like Kenneth Hagin said, when communism begins to spread throughout America, it will be a mighty move of God that will come, that will, that will, that will save America. And, Lord God, in, the, in Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, that you will remember us, O oh God, and that you will send this mighty revival, O oh God. But I say mighty revivals and the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ, O oh God. And, Lord, I pray that you preserve the church, O oh God, that you will preserve the church in America and Mexico and Canada and the church all over earth in this time, and that we will shine bright in the name of Jesus Christ, O oh God. Lord, that we, we're not going underground, we are going above. And then yes. we're not above ground, we're going above, 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 Harry. In the name of Jesus, because we are ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, O oh God. And, Lord God, we, that, that we will begin to answer with signs and wonders. We'll begin to answer with signs and wonders, God. And we pray that justice come. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, let your judgments come now to bring order and, and order and save these children. Save these children that are being molested. Save these children that are taking advantage. Yes, Save these children in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, bring forth justice in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I pray for, yes, for every little, every kid, every child, every teenager that 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 that's crossing the border or, or has been taken by the by the border patrol that or the ones that went. I pray for their salvation. I pray for their redemption. I pray that you yes, save their innocence. I pray for restoration of their innocence. I pray, God, that they will be protectable, and I pray that they will be used by the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. God, Lord, I pray that any man or any woman that is using these kids for evil things, I pray, Lord God, that you will deal with them and that you will scare them. You will scare them so that they will repent and that they will turn those kids over to the authorities and they will repent of their sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, God, yes, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you see all. You see all. And, Lord, as we as we look through the Bible, there's times that, that sin just, just, sin just, the sin of the earth just, just reached to you. It reached new heights. And, 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 um, and you heard the cry of people crying out. And, Lord God, we just pray, Lord, that you hear us and you intervene. Oh, God, and that you will stop this grievances that are being done in the name of Jesus Christ, yes. that these children, oh, God, will not suffer in the name of Jesus Christ, oh, God. Oh, Lord, and, and we pray, Father, for justice and judgment in Jesus' name. And, Lord, God, we pray, Lord, raise up the church in this time. Let the church move forward, oh, God, in Jesus' name. And let us not compromise. Let us not compromise, oh, God. Lord, as, 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 as I heard, I, I heard that... That um, 
as preachers that were overseas that, that, that are from America, how God is speaking them. You must now return to America. America, the church in America is in danger. The church in America is in danger. And you're calling these preachers back to America. And, and, and at the same time, Lord God, it's because the spiritual churches are decreasing. They are decreasing. And through the pandemic, they are decreasing because there is so much compromise. So much compromise. And people are, 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 are welcoming the devil into their church through deception, through fear. Oh, God, we pray, Lord, that you intervene. In the name of Jesus, that you will raise up the fivefold ministry, you raise up apostles and prophets with backbones, you raise up the body of Christ, oh God. You raise up businessmen, oh God, and businesswomen, oh God. And, and, and you raise up missionaries, oh God. In the name of Jesus Christ, and an evangelist, oh God. In the name of Jesus Christ, oh God. Father God, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you intervene, oh God. And Lord, we pray, Lord, God, that you will activate, oh God, all the, all the people that, that, that are for godliness, that's for God, that's for life. In, in America, in, in Mexico, in, in, in Canada, and all over the world, that they'll begin to stand up against communism, against socialism, oh God, oh God, against the spirit of the Antichrist in this time and his system, in the name of Jesus Christ, oh God, that we will be the salt of the earth, oh God, in Jesus' name. Lord God, in Jesus' name, oh God, Lord God, Lord, we know that you are the God who hears prayer. In Jesus' name. Lord God, Lord, I pray, Father, for everyone who, who's going to listen to this message, I pray for a touch of God. We rebuke any discouragement, oh God, and any fear. We will not allow fear to come into our heart, but we see coming upon this earth. But we will walk in boldness, oh God, because we serve a God who can, who can wrap us out <laughs> if he has to. But God, we will mm-hmm. walk in victory, God. Just as the children of Israel, the children of Jacob in Genesis, oh God, they were victorious. As the Israelites were victorious, oh God. Oh God. And Lord God, we will shout. We will scream. We will raise our voices and the enemy will run in fear. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs>